Well, I've got in my hands a, uh, a new arrival that came actually yesterday. Oh, Crystal Pepsi? <laughs> wow, that was random. Shoot the core, Cass. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the ARF Generation Shmup Club. This is the family-friendly Shmup-themed podcast that wants you to trip like we do through magical, psychedelic tubes full of giant insects. From RFGeneration.com, I am Metal Fro, otherwise known throughout the interwebs as the Game Boy Guru, and with me on this journey is... Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups. Indeed. And as I mentioned, rfgeneration.com, that's where you want to be. Uh, a great website with lots of content. There's a huge database where you can catalog your game collection. Um, there are articles on the website on the front page and many contributors that write there every month, uh, including myself, as well as multiple podcasts. Um, not only Shoot the Corecast, but also the RF Generation Playcast and the Collector Cast which has recently uh, come back from a bit of a hiatus. So, all in all, it's a great resource for your gaming needs. That is rfgeneration.com. Yeah, and they're also doing a 2019 NES playthrough where they're trying to beat every licensed NES game before the clock turns to 2020. And they're doing a pretty good job with that. And if you'd like to help out, please stop them by. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. Yes, I... I finally contributed and uh, was able to beat uh, Legendary Wings. So I have my name on the list, and I'm hoping to add another game or two to that before the end of the year. Sounds good. All righty. For the month of October, we played a little game on the Sony PlayStation called N2O Nitrous Oxide. Yeah, it's also out on Steam now. It is indeed. And uh, this was a this was a little bit of an underground, um, lesser known title, and so our participation was relatively low for the month. Uh, it was literally just you, me, and Crabmaster two thousand. So we'll uh, we'll get into that here a little bit later. But first, um, the question of the month that I threw out, which was kind of Halloween themed, because uh, you know it's that time of year when Everybody does Halloween-related stuff. And so, anyway, <clears throat> the question that I asked was, what was the first game that legitimately scared you when you first played it? And we got a handful of responses here. Uh, our buddy Mark MSX, uh, at Mark underscore MSX on Twitter, says, GoldenEye 007 facility. Kept hiding in the vents. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. Uh, Zoido, one of our semi-frequent players here, uh, at Zoido, says, Must have been the original Prince of Persia. The traps and death scenes freaked me out. I could see that. 
being a kid and, uh, you know, kind of being freaked out by that. Uh, at STG Pilot, a.k.a. Shmup News on Twitter, says the original Doom. And I think that's probably a, an answer that a lot of people would give. Uh, our buddy Easy Racer, uh, at Easy underscore Racer, says the one that immediately comes to mind is Parasite Eve when you find the dog. And he is trying to keep it spoiler free. He says, another that comes to mind was watching a friend of mine play Resident Evil 2 when it first came out. And yeah, uh, definitely Parasite Eve. Um, I was an adult when I played that, but it definitely has a certain creep factor to it that uh, I think was heightened by the high quality of the CGI animation at that time. And uh, our buddy Grabmaster2000, a.k.a. at Kelsey Polnick on Twitter, says, Definitely Castlevania II, Simon's Quest. The horrible nights used to make me and my buddy very tense, and then when you got attacked in a town, which was supposed to be our safe place, that was the last straw. Too scary. <laughs> uh, so some good answers there. And I'm trying to think for myself what the first game was that legitimately scared me. It definitely wasn't anything 8 or 16-bit because I, I wasn't I wasn't really into horror and so I didn't kind of, I didn't really get into that whole, you know, being scared for the, the fun of it kind of thing. Uh, but there were a couple of early PlayStation games that had some jump scares or some some things that were kind of sudden and jarring. I just can't remember off the top of my head what that was. What about you? Do you uh, can you think of a game that scared you when you were younger? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was playing the original Alone in the Dark, like right maybe a couple months after it came out. But I had uh, you know typical young teenager stuff. I grabbed a two liter of Mountain Dew and stayed mm. up from Friday night until the like six a.m played through the entire game and actually managed to beat it and then decided you know hey after drinking a two liter of Mountain Dew and playing a <clears throat> at the time a scary game I might as well finally get some sleep and it resulted in some really weird dreams <laughs> <laughs> and that that freaked me out more than anything else because when you're starting that twilight state where you're half awake half asleep and th you start you just beat in the game or work to a lot of puzzles in the game and that stuff starts bleeding in mm. then it gets scary most of the jump scares and stuff like that you know the monster clauses that you get with some of the doom games or the jump scares with resident evil are predictable some of the modern stuff that has some parts that have scared me a little bit i would say resident evil 7 there's some really cool parts in there mm. when you're trying to crawl underground and the, the, the pull on your the or the uh the bugly and stuff Recently, it had to be in Resident Evil 7. It wasn't more like a um, so much a huge scare, like a jump scare in the other ones. It was more like a, that is really sick or something. It, Resident Evil 6 had gotten into the action games, where 7 as a part where, I mean, it's early in the game, so forget anyone who uh, hasn't played yet, please bleep this out now. You meet your wife, and she's saying, we got to get out of her. All of a sudden, she starts attacking you and starts hacking at you with a machete. And in first person, the first time you see that, that's uh, a little disturbing. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I kind of I kind of had a similar experience with uh, Zombie U because the that game is particularly atmospheric, I think, for its time. And if you get careless and move into an area that has multiple multiple zombies and you don't take them out kind of one at a time and you let yourself get swarmed by them, uh, you can get overwhelmed really, really quickly. And I, scary is probably the wrong word for it, but it, it really is tense and definitely, you know, kind of heightens your emotions and, and all of that. But thinking back, I think maybe the first game that caught me off guard is the way I'll put it would be Siphon Filter on the PlayStation. There's uh, an area where you're down in the subway and a bomb goes off and then half of the place is on fire. And there's this moment where you're walking through a corridor um, trying to avoid the fire and all of a sudden this enemy soldier comes running at you screaming and he's on fire. Um, and if you don't back up when he starts running at you, he'll run into you and then you'll be on fire. And so that was one of those uh, moments where he started running at me. I was like, oh, crud, I need to turn around. You know, instead of just walking backwards, I tried to turn around and then run away. Uh, and it was kind of a ah moment of I'm on fire. <laughs> so, you know, that was that was uh, tense. And not to be confused with the NBA Jam on fire. <laughs> He's on fire! Uh, Alright, well let's start by taking a look at the developer. So, <clears throat> N2O was developed by Gremlin Graphics Software. Started in 1984, originally stemming from a computer store in Sheffield, England. And I have to say, Gremlin Graphics, they made one of my favorite PC games of all time, which is Whiplash, the PC. Ooh. It's our arcade racer. It's a console-style racer, but it was made specifically for the PC. Oh, interesting. Really lots of fun. I think it might be out on GOG if you want, anybody wants to give it a try. It's it's very much, uh, as I mentioned, an arcade racer where you've got these... Um, <clears throat> you're racing and stuff, stuff like that, but you also have... Um, what's what I'm looking for? Or tracks uh, where you do loop-to-loops and that have a, sort of stunts in some ways. Oh, sure. It, it's, a, it's a lot more, definitely a, a, I guess the closest analogy I could come to is maybe a fully realized and properly running at the proper speed hard driving. Ah. Maybe a little, <laughs> little bit more, more with that, but definitely a very fast polygon racer for the PC. Cool. So, the Gremlins' first big hit was Wanted, Monty Mole, the first in a series of games featuring the fictional character. Now, if I remember correctly, Monty Mole, oh, I think on this version with Monty Mole was the actual mole, but in the Japanese Famicom disc version, it was changed to a human guy named Monty. Oh, interesting. I believe that is like a prisoner, but in the in the original release, it was the actual mole. Huh. <clears throat> Throughout the 1980s, Gremlin released several games on the ZX Spectrum, Commodore 64 slash 128, and other microcomputer platforms. They began developing Amiga games towards the end of the decade as well. Gremlin began developing console games in the early 90s for platforms such as the Game Boy, 
Super NES, and later the Sony PlayStation or PS1. The company changed its name from Gremlin Graphics to Gremlin Interactive Limited in 1994, and other notable games by Gremlin include microcomputer conversions of the Atari arcade hit Gauntlet, Switchblade 1 and 2, the Lotus series of computer racing games, HeroQuest, not to be confused for, for Quest for Glory, the premier manager of seri- uh, sorry, soccer football games, the Top Gear series, Zool 1 and 2, Jungle Strike, Actura Sport Series, Loaded and Reloaded, Arker 4x4, and Body Harvest. Yeah, which uh, I think is, um, that was an N64 game, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, and I think one that is maybe uh, at least reasonably well-liked. Yeah, there's a couple of those cult classics on there, as, as we have with uh, Blast Corps. I think it, it it sort of falls along the same lines, not as far as gameplay, but as far as cult classics on the N64. Yeah. Well, of the list that you read, wrote, uh, uh, read off, uh, I haven't played Loaded and Reloaded yet, although uh, those are on my list, and I haven't played Body Harvest yet, but... Zool 2 is, in fact, my favorite of the Jaguar games that I currently own. I know that's not saying much, but I don't own that many Jaguar games. It's okay, you know. <laughs> I, I think that on, on the list there, Zool 2 is probably one of the higher up just by default. Yeah, Zool is at least um, somewhat fondly remembered. Yeah, even though it doesn't take into account all the 64 bits. Yeah. Huh. All right. So Gremlin was acquired by Infogrames in 1999 and subsequently closed in 2003 when Infogrames shut down. Gremlin's catalog is now owned by a company called Urban Scan. N2O Nitrous Oxide was published in Europe by Gremlin themselves and published in North America as a joint venture between Fox Interactive and Sony Interactive Entertainment. Curiously, though, the game was developed in Europe. The North American release came first in June of 1998, and the European release came out in September. Subsequent releases of the game have been on the PlayStation Network for PS3 and Vita, as well as the aforementioned Steam release through Urban Scan. The game's soundtrack was provided by Electronica Group, The Crystal Method, and is present on the game disc as Redbook Audio, so it's most playable in most standard CD players. Most of the game's music was called from the Crystal Method's debut album, Vegas. And I know that you, uh, to make sure you could stream this, you were putting in all sorts of different stuff. Yes, uh, I actually, that was one of the cool things about the game that uh, I found out from, uh, and I can't remember who it was specifically, but shout out to the Shmups Forum because someone mentioned on there, oh yeah, you can take the game disc out once it's loaded and put in any audio CD. So I pulled out as many of the independent releases in my CD collection as I could and spun some of those so that I wouldn't get a copyright strike on my YouTube channel. But uh, the one thing I'll say is if you do plan on listening to the N2O game disc in your stereo, as most of these games that have Redbook Audio will tell you, always skip track one uh, because some stereos don't handle that game audio properly and it comes out as just really loud noise 
a lot of modern equipment reads it fine and will just play silence, but early stereo stereo equipment, I think, doesn't know how to interpret that and just tries. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds much worse than um, your, if anyone's old enough in here, than your average modem handshake. Oh, the this, this screeching. Mm, yeah. So, <clears throat> N2O is a tube shooter or tunnel shooter game similar in style to Atari's classic game Tempest or Konami's Gyrus, but in defined tunnels rather than in space. Another similar game is Squaresoft's internal section. One thing that struck me about this game, and again with the info games, they owned the Atari license at the time. I wonder if they were, remember how they released Frogger and they also had Frogger 2 near the end and then you had the reimagining a pawn Mm, around this time. This, in my opinion, could have been a reimagining of Centipede. I know that they did release something for Centipede, but it really could have been it's called Centipede 2 or something, you know, Centipede VR or something futuristic, and it probably would have worked without the having to involve the Crystal Method. I, I understand why they went with the aesthetic, but they could have done the same thing and then branded it as an Atari-like game and maybe reached a wider audience. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. I mean, obviously the game was came out a year before the Infogram's acquisition, and so I guess all we can do is speculate. <clears throat> Would you like to hit off on the uh, lovely introduction for this game? Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't involve Tex Mexium, but still a pretty good story. Yeah, so right from the manual it says, Somewhere deep in the in the future, our galaxy is at war. On the nearby planet of Neptune, forces of evil have initiated their plans, their new plans, to invade the Earth. By accelerating subatomic particles around a tubular-shaped circuit known as the Taurus, they're developing a race of super-warriors. Together with advanced genetic engineering, this central birthing canal is capable of producing an army of, lethally, of lethal genetically mutated insects. Nitrous oxide, a pollutant byproduct emitted inside the Taurus, provides a high-octane fuel for your tunnel runner. But unfortunately, it also provides the perfect breeding environment for the secretly incubating species. Your mission. Set a course for Neptune. Fly your tunnel runner into the nitrous oxide-filled tubes. Destroy the super warriors and genetic mutations before they are strong enough to invade Earth. Come home for milk and cookies. And yes, it says that last part in the manual, which I think is hilarious. And uh, I just have to say, I was not expecting to use the term birthing canal in a podcast episode, but here we are. Oh, I thought you were going to say milk and cookies. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's your nonsensical story in order to put something on there. You you know, you could just say, in the year of great chaos, giant insects have come through from Neptune to destroy space and take over the Earth, and you need to do it because you need to get home to your milk and cookies. You know, it's it's your usual you know, uh, out-there story to justify video games. Yeah, I mean... 
it's that's exactly right. It's video game logic. Uh, you know, it's it's we're calling giant insects super warriors because video games and nitrous oxide is both the pollutant that your ship uses as fuel and something that aids in the breeding of these giant insects because video games. And so it's all very non sequitur, but uh, I think the, the fact that they add the come home for milk and cookies at the end kind of shows maybe that the development team were having fun with this and they weren't taking themselves or the game entirely seriously. Yeah, the whole entire thing reads like a place card that you find on or a sticker you'd find on a control panel for an arcade game. This yeah. this whole thing feels like it's just a iteration upon an arcade game and that you it really feels like there should have been one for this type of game. But of course at this time the arcades were uh shall we say uh, not in their best form. Yeah. Well, and and uh, shooting games definitely had kind of moved on to uh, more of the cave fare and uh, latter-day Capcom licensed stuff. Alrighty. Well, let's talk about the gameplay here a little bit. So, as we mentioned, your your ship is called the Tunnel Runner, and you're moving throughout the Taurus. And, of course, each stage is its own Taurus, and these are giant tubes that your ship runs through and so they are circular or at least connected throughout so you constantly flow through this tunnel as you're taking out enemies so as you do that your ship moves down the tunnel you can only move your tunnel runner left and excuse me left and right so as you move left and right through the tunnel you can actually make 360 degrees around it but the camera view generally stays under your ship, you know, and it can kind of go up sort of at a slight angle or whatever up against the wall or the floor, I guess you would call it. But you, you're generally always looking at your ship from behind and the, the whole game area kind of rotates around you, as it were. Uh, and so unlike Tempest uh, or Gyrus, like I say, where where you're moving your craft around the screen, the whole tunnel rotates around you as you move. Um, you can fire the ship's main cannon with the cross button, or X. The square button will shoot a firewall, if you have one equipped, and that is one of the special weapons that we'll get into here in a little bit. The circle button will shoot off uh, whatever special weapon you have equipped. Uh, you can have two of those at one time, and uh, then you can change which one you have armed by pressing up on the D-pad. Uh, the triangle button can be used to activate a shield power-up, if you have any. And uh, that will provide some level of protection for the ship. If you hold down the L1 button, it will cause the ship to break and will come to a halt for a brief period. And uh, one thing I found is that if you continue to hold down L1, your ship will break. And then after a, a set amount of time, based on which, whatever ship you're using, um, it'll speed back up again. And then you'll have another break interval where it will slow down and then stop for just a little bit. And so it's kind of an interesting uh, braking system in the game. Yeah, and the braking in the system... I would say is what separates it from Gyrus or from Tempest. 
it allows you to stop and pick off your shots because the games the more enemies that you destroy here the faster you're gonna go through the tunnel the more right. nitrous oxide into oh you're gonna have and so in my opinion and I think you found this out too it's good to have a good balanced ship that allows you to stop when you need to but also flip through your t flip through the sides of the tunnel at a reasonable pace yeah now the r1 button will uh, make your tunnel runner jump and you can use that to avoid uh, some enemies and obstacles uh, <laughs> coincidentally or incidentally i uh i constantly forgot that that was a thing and so i barely used the jump <laughs> Yeah, the, the jump is a little bit hard to get the hang of, even if you know it's there. It's one of those things where you, again, you're going at different speeds, so you have to know how far your momentum will carry you. It's a tricky to get the timing of. Right. The L2 button will put your ship into a first-person mode, and R2 will take you out of that and put you back into third-person. I do not recommend this. It is highly disorienting, and, well, unless you're under the influence of various substances, which I don't, also don't recommend, but if that's how you roll, then that might be something that you would enjoy. But otherwise, I generally don't recommend it, uh, because it's difficult to get a feel for where you are and, you know, your proximity to enemies and obstacles. So... I, I much prefer the third-person view. Now, uh, one of the unique features in this game is that you can save your progress as you go along. And so after each level, you have the option to save, uh, which obviously, generally speaking, shmups don't. But since this is uh, kind of tailored toward the console audience and more a little bit more forgiving, you know, they're they're going to... They're going to accommodate that. Uh, there also are codes that you could enter for uh, different levels so that you can actually jump to a particular level. So that's kind of a nice feature if you're just looking to experience the game, see the different levels, and kind of try it out. Uh, there are some other options you can edit as well. Uh, you can choose the type of camera lens that the game, use, that the game uses as well as the lens flare type that's used. Uh, I never messed with these options, but uh, it's kind of neat that they are there at least to kind of give you a little bit more control over the aesthetics of the experience. Um, the camera roll feature gives you the choice of whether the camera follows your craft or is in a locked position. Uh, and so I I didn't actually try this, but I, I wonder if the locked mode actually then makes it more like Gyrus or Tempest, where the ship rotates around the screen rather than the screen rotating around you or around your ship. Um, so I may have to give that a try at some point. Uh, the other thing I didn't mess with uh, is the hatching order. Uh, enemies are normally hatched into each level during gameplay, and you can alternate between a random or a preset hatching order. Um, I think preset is the default. I just stuck with the default settings on that. Uh, and then also, um, 
during gameplay you have the ability to obtain different bonus weapons. If you choose the selectable option during uh, in the in the options menu, you can actually cycle through the different weapon types by shooting at them when they appear. And so that's another reason to break is you know if you can break in front of a weapon and shoot it a couple of times until the one comes up that you want, then that gives you the ability to be a little bit more strategic in that sense. Uh, as you're traversing each Taurus, your tunnel runner will move faster the more enemies you take out. And of course, the, the they explain it in the manual in such a way that because your tunnel runner uses the nitrous oxide as fuel and enemies breathe the nitrous oxide as well, uh, and so then when you destroy an enemy, um, the Taurus gets a burst of that nitrous oxide, which then makes your ship go faster. Why they couldn't just make your ship always travel the same speed and just use fuel at a normal rate, I don't know. But I suppose that's a, a mechanic that they wanted in the game to maybe heighten the tension for each level as you get down to just one or two enemies left. Well, think about it in the way that this is framed, right? They wanted to frame it as an arcade game. If you look at I mean, even going back as far as Space Invaders, when it starts getting, they start getting down to a certain point, they start moving faster and faster, right? And the more that you destroy, to get to a certain point, you have to shoot at near the end of where the enemy is going to be, not where it is currently. Sure. I, again, I think it just ties back to the arcade roots and how they wanted to continue upping the challenge without increasing the difficulty artificially. You know, it's a neat mechanic for this, right? If you can give the people or the player the ability to stop, jump, and do all sorts of platforming acrobatics within the shooting tunnel shooter game, you got to have something that, some sort of difficulty, expected difficulty curve. Right. Yeah, and it's it's. I guess it's interesting to think about how the game harkens back to that early arcade kind of feeling. I mean, think about it. Space Invaders came out in 1978, right? And this game comes out 20 years later and is essentially doing a very similar thing, but from a different vantage point and in kind of a different setting. And, of course, the enemies moving faster thing with Space Invaders was serendipitous. I mean, it was just sort of a happy accident that that's the way that it happened based on the processor and the hardware that they were using on those boards. Whereas, obviously, in this game, it's in the manual, they programmed it this way, and so it, it, it's a nice sort of homage to that tradition of, you know, the increased tension as you get down toward the end of the level. Yep, and just to make sure everyone is clear, who is listening is clear on this, with Space Invaders and the processor and the hardware that they were working with at the time, it was basically slowed down. The game was slowed down until you f took away those sprites or the destroyed the invaders on the screen. Then the processor started having power, more cycles free, and it could actually start running the game at full speed. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. Um, now, as you kill enemies, they will drop uh, e-currency or e-coins. And you can shoot those coins to increase their value, uh, which becomes a uh, an important mechanic in the game. And you can then, at the end of each level, exchange those coins 
uh, either for the firewall power-ups, or you can cash them in for points. You know, this really screamed... Let's just say if this was made today, and this was a phone game, or this was ported, this could scream like, hey, insert your... I don't want to use the word Bitcoin here, or tokens, or some other cryptocurrency. But this really screams like you could have a loot mechanic. Mm. It's like this could actually work as a phone game where it's like, hey, get your surprise box. All you have to do is spend a dollar. And if you get enough of these, you could get a firewall. Maybe you'll actually get these golden rockets and be able to take down your enemies faster. I mean, all of this stuff, it screams, again, with the arcadeness that it could really just be an iOS or Android game. It probably could. But uh, the base value of the gold coins that pop out is it's worth one coin. So if you shoot it once, it turns silver or maybe platinum. That's worth two coins. If you shoot it again and it turns red, then it's worth three coins. And then the final uh, time you shoot it, it'll turn blue and then it's worth four coins. Yeah, this is sort of counterproductive. When I was first shooting them... I thought, gee, I'm actually making the value go down. So at first I tried not to shoot them. Oh, no, you make them go up. Well, yes, you make them go up. But when I first saw it, you always assume that within games, gold is the best and silver is always second best and bronze. I was assuming by shooting them originally, I was bringing the value down, not up, which seems sort of weird. It should actually go blue, red, silver, then gold. I know the game sort of tells you that, but it's, it's counterintuitive because in, in everything that you're ingrained in, again, video game logic, mm-hmm. gold is the best. So I thought I was actually decreasing value originally by shooting him. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and, and of course, you're right. The game tells you that not only in the manual, but when you first start the, the game up, it has little tips that pop up in sort of a tutorial fashion where whenever something new happens or you trigger a new thing, it pops up a little hint that will kind of tell you, explain, oh yeah, shoot the coins, you'll make them worth more. <laughs> so, you know, that's yeah, kind of... Uh, this little fairy comes along and says, hey, listen. <laughs> Not quite that annoying, though. Uh, now, one of the things I like about the game is the stage names because they are all portmanteaus of two words that don't really fit together very well. So, for example, stage one is called Kilometus. Stage two is called Spiralax. Stage four is Panicide. Stage five is Psychodiversion. And stage seven is Mandibalistics. I'm sure that these are all uh, names for albums for some... Some band out there, huh. <laughs> you know, com- coming at you here from your, from everybody's favorite garage band. We've got a new album out. It's called Panicide, <laughs> and their fifth uh, album, Cycle Diversion. It's it's all very nineties. Uh, oh, very much wh- so. Which I appreciate. Now, as far as the enemies, um, the enemies are kind of introduced to you in in succession as you go on between the different stages. You want to kind of lay that out for everybody? The first stage, yes, has three variations of the same type of bug. Yellow, red, and blue beetles. 
Now, anyone who's played the original arcade game Mario Brothers will be familiar if you, let's say, turn over a turtle or a crab and you can't get to it in time, it becomes a little faster, a little meaner. Same th rules apply here. The yellow bugs are your slow-moving enemies. Red bugs are your little bit faster-moving enemies. And then your blue ones are the fastest and they will fire back at you. Each successive stage adds a new insect type. Starting with stage three, they start to have bosses. Bosses themselves are always a larger version of the new insect introduced in the level and take more hits to destroy than the regular enemy types. Additional enemy types include cocoons. <clears throat> when sh they, the cocoons sort of look like pill books to me. <laughs> the way that they roll around the screen. These cocoons, when shot, release two beetles into the torus. Manual says they release yellow beetles, but in game it seems to be red beetles. And yeah, I never saw any yellow beetles come out of the cocoons. Yeah, and to me they look just like rocks or boulders, you know, kind of rolling around. Yeah, <clears throat> scorpions, which to me are one of the most annoying enemies of the game. They move back and forth within the torus and lay down mines. If you can destroy four mines in a row and destroy the scorpion that laid them, you get a 5,000 point bonus. Now, the scorpions, you said they're one of the most annoying uh, enemies in the game. <clears throat> did they? Uh, did you run into them a lot? I, did, I didn't... I shouldn't say run into them, but it was... The rate of fire on the ship made it a little bit difficult sometimes to line up stuff. And I had to frequently pause or hit the brake in order to accurately line everything up and destroy the scorpions. Ah, okay. So did they did they rock you like a hurricane? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Here I am. Or 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 did you uh, did you run into one of the mines that they lay down and and have a blackout? <laughs> oh boy. All right, let's, I'm going to if we keep up with these puns. Let's get going here. <laughs> Butterflies. They take three shots to be destroyed. After being shot once, they change color and retreat, then double back to attack again. Mosquito and grubs slash larvae. Everyone's favorite. Each revolution you make to the Taurus without killing a mosquito, it will launch a little white grub or larvae. After the grub is released, one additional trip through the Taurus means the mosquito will grow fully. Mosquitoes can release up to six grubs if not killed. And this can be obviously milked for maximum scoring. And the mosquitoes are definitely annoying. Really, I think enemy, almost every enemy with the exception of just the base beetles can become a problem if left unchecked pretty quickly in this game. Did you find the same thing? Yeah, the mosquitoes were particularly annoying because... The grubs that they shoot out also act as a weapon, so it's like they're sacrificing their young as a means of trying to kill you, uh, which is quite interesting. But uh, you can shoot those grubs while they're in the air and take them out and earn points, which helps, but there are times when, as you said, it's hard to get lined up. And so unless you're breaking when you see one shoot at you, you know, you might either run right into the grub that they shoot out or miss it and make a revolution and then have an, yet another mosquito to deal with. Yara's revenge indeed. Huh. I know Yara was the flies. Please don't write in. 
Uh, all right. <laughs> Ladybugs. These bugs have a positive magnetic shield around them, so they're attracted to your tunnel runner. For best results, break as they approach to take them out. Again, in the entire... This game is always about controlling your speed and trying to be in control as fast as possible. That's why, like Crimson Clover, breaking is one of the most important things you can do in the game. <laughs> Woodlouse. These move through the torus as normal until they approach the player. When they get close, they roll into a ball and become indestructible, so they should be destroyed from a distance. Yeah, I think the only thing that can take out the Woodlouse when they're in the ball form is the firewall power-up. Fireflies. These fly towards your tunnel runner and double back and try and blind you with light from their tail. They can only be destroyed when they're facing your ship. Fly. These fly towards the tunnel runner and spit acid at you. They can only be destroyed when they're about to attack. Black Widow Spider. These fire a web that will block the Taurus. You will die upon impact if you crash into the web, but you can shoot out portions of the web that are attached to the Taurus walls. When killed, they release a small spider baby that is worth 1,000 points if you run over it with your ship. Tarantula. These move slowly, but fire web bombs directly at you. The webbing can be destroyed using your special weapons. Caterpillar. Can only be damaged by shooting the head. Once damaged enough, the rest of the body parts separate and can be destroyed individually as they tumble along the torus. For each trip through the torus, without taking out the head, the caterpillar will grow another body segment. Again, this can be milk for points. Wasp. Wasp hover through the torus and attack your ship by lowering its standard down at you and firing. When attacked position, it's the only time they can be harmed. You'll see sparks shooting out of the admin as they prepare to attack, and that's your signal to counter. If you kill a wasp has already fired two shots at you, you'll earn an additional 2,000 points. Expanding Colorado Beetle. Interesting name for all these enemies here. Yeah. These bugs will constantly expand and fill up the torus until they explode, spreading deadly body parts all around unless you take them out first. Ants. Ants attack in formation and walk in a line, often diagonally across the torus. Obstructing a portion of it, each squad of ants has a leader. If the leader is killed, the rest of the squad will die. The squad leader is identified by its striped yellow jacket. Ants position when the squad will be random. Termites. These run through the torus and drag along an expanding and contracting electric ladder that skims the surface. The ladder is deadly and it will destroy your tunnel runner instantly upon contact. Shellac Leader Insect also known as the final boss. This is a hybrid of several other insect types and has rows of teeth, six arms, strong pinchers, and a scorpion-like poisonous tail. It can shoot flaming gas balls from its mouth and will charge your tunnel runner. Shields are useless against this boss. Now, I didn't make it to the shellac leader, did you? Uh, no, I only managed to make it to stage 10. And uh, funny that the... The order which these uh, enemies are mentioned in the manual, which is how I put it in our notes here, is not quite the order in which they actually appear. And so I'm not sure that I ever saw the expanding Colorado beetle, the tarantula, or the fireflies. So some of these enemies I definitely did not get to see. Now, a uh, couple of things to note here. 
you will earn an extra life at 15,000 points, and then again at 50,000 points, and then each subsequent 50,000 points earned after that. While you're flying through the Taurus, you'll encounter mushrooms. Uh, collecting mushrooms will yield points, and then also give you a bonus star at the top of your screen. Uh, collecting five mushrooms will send you to a bonus round, where you'll shoot eggs to release coins and avoid obstacles. Uh, so as soon as you collide with either an egg or one of the spike obstacles in there, then the bonus round will end. Regarding the mushrooms again, if you shoot those five times, they'll turn red, and then when you collect it uh, after you've changed a color, then you lose the points, but that will give you a shield that you can activate, which protects your ship from uh, some dangers for a short time. Now, for whatever reason, you can continue to shoot the mushrooms after they've changed colors, and they can turn blue or sometimes green, but I, I didn't see any additional effects or anything like that from collecting the mushrooms after they were already color changed. One thing that I found with the shield is... I don't know if it protects against everything, so we'll talk about that here. Um, so, looking at the special weapons, as we mentioned before, we have the Firewall, which sends a fiery ring of death down the Taurus, killing everything in its path. And it literally is a ring that covers the ground all throughout the Taurus. Um, and so anything that's immediately in front of you as you're flying down the Taurus, basically as far as you can see, it'll take everything out. So it's super powerful and is definitely the ultimate special weapon in the game. The Slinky is a wave-like laser that shoots down the Taurus in a straight line, uh, and it does have a wider range than the standard shot. And uh, I, I kind of like the Slinky. In addition to being a fun and wonderful toy, as the, the commercial would suggest, um, it also, yeah, with that wider range, it does really help to kind of take out more enemies uh, in quick succession. The uh, Green Dragon is a string of five green plasma balls that snake down the Taurus, destroying anything in their path. The Ninja is a double-edged razor star that shoots out both sides of the Tunnel Runner. Uh, the Ninja will shoot 360 degrees up the sides of the Taurus, taking out enemies that are parallel to your craft. Uh, the Dam Buster is two attached mines that bounce down the Taurus and explode on impact. The Rapido, as its name suggests, is a rapid burst of 300mm machine gun fire. It has a very wide vertical range of attack. The Homing Rock-It <laughs> rock uh, is a missile that homes in on targets nearest to the Tunnel Runner, uh, as it travels in a straight line down the Taurus. The boomerang is a yellow weapon that resembles a thin barbell. The boomerang is equipped with a self-guidance system, and once fired, it will spin down the Taurus and semi-home in on the nearest target. Once the enemy is destroyed, the weapon remains in the Taurus for retrieval, which is kind of interesting. Instead of coming back to you like a real boomerang, it just sort of hangs out until you fly over it. The threesome is three glowing laser bolts that are shot from the front of the craft. One bolt travels in a straight line directly in front of you. One skims the left wall of the Taurus, and then the third skims the right wall of the Taurus. Uh, this weapon has a very wide range of attack and can destroy three enemies 
located around the tunnel runner at once. Uh, it's also ideal for taking out spider webs because it has the ability to hit multiple, uh, multiple points like that. As the manual says, it is a very sexy weapon. And then finally the shields, as I mentioned, uh, you can shoot the mushrooms found throughout the Taurus. When they turn red, you collect them to gain the shield, which as we mentioned before, you activate with the triangle button. And they protect you for a limited amount of time, but I didn't find that they protect you against everything. I was able to withstand shots coming at me from the blue beetles and you know, the grub shots coming from the mosquitoes, and I was able to graze some enemies without taking damage. But I don't know that they protect you against head-on collisions. Seems like either I just had bad luck and my shield always ran out right as I was colliding with an enemy, or I'm right and they actually don't protect you against head-on collisions. Um, but I think that's how that works. Now for me, the Rapido was my favorite special weapon. Um, were there any that you particularly liked? I like the Slinky and some fun with that. And then the Green Dragon was one that for some reason seemed to come up quite a bit for me. But my personal favorite definitely had to be in the Slinky. Just for just for the way that it, the straight line, usually with the, along with the braking, helped me clear stuff through pretty quickly, or at least the standard Beetles. Right. Yeah, for me, uh, definitely the Rapido and the Slinky kind of as a close second. And then the, the homing missiles were usually decent, and the threesome I liked quite a bit because of its ability to take out multiple targets and kind of cut a wide swath. So, would you like to uh, go over the bonuses? Sure. You can earn bonus rewards by doing the following. Collecting mushrooms you have transformed by shooting them. Kill the baby spider released after taking on a regular spider. Obtain the cocoon bonus. Get the scorpion bonus. And other bonuses may be earned by taking out specific enemies or meeting other conditions. Each bonus reward will yield a yellow star at the top left corner of the screen. When you have five stars, you'll gain access to a bonus level. These bonus levels act like Taurus levels, except they're more of a twisting ribbon that continues on forever. As you travel down the ribbon, you'll need to avoid the obstacles and shoot the eggs to release coins. For each egg you shoot, you'll release more nitrous oxide. So the bonus level becomes faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. <laughs> Just like the regular levels. If you collide with an egg or spikes, the bonus level will end. Any coins earned during the bonus level will add up to the total you earned in the previous level. After each level, you'll be given a chance, depending on how many coins you've earned during the level, to convert the e-currency into points or some combination of points and firewall weapons. Yeah. And uh, I found a bunch of cheat codes for the game that I didn't really try any of them, but I thought it was interesting that there's a whole bunch in there. Uh, there's so little about this game on the internet, but this is definitely one of the things that I found on, on GameFAQs. So in order to uh, access a bonus level, you can, um, and I think these are passwords that you put in. So you can go straight to a bonus level by putting in square, 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 triangle, circle, triangle, square, square. 
you can disable all cheats by putting the password square square cross circle 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 triangle. Uh, you can have full level access, which I, I guess unlocks all the levels so that you can go straight there uh, with square, triangle, circle, triangle, cross, triangle, square, cross. To get infinite firewalls, uh, which basically makes the game easy mode, you put in cross, cross, square, cross, 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 triangle, triangle. For infinite lives, you put in circle, cross, cross, triangle, square, triangle, square, circle. For infinite weapons, square, cross, circle, square, cross, square, circle, square. For no bonus reset on death, uh, you can put in square, triangle, cross, triangle, circle, square, triangle, cross. Underwater mode, which I should try this one at some point. I wonder if that makes the game either move slower or just makes it look like everything's underwater and make it even that much trippier looking. I wonder, have you paused the game and you've seen the filter effect that they're running on the screen? Uh-huh. I wonder if it's just that throughout the entire game. Oh, that could be. Uh, which is uh, circle, cross, square, triangle, triangle, circle, triangle, circle. Uh, unlock all levels, square, circle, cross, triangle, triangle, cross, circle, cross, and then unlock speed score or speed core, which maybe just makes the game faster. Cross, 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 square, triangle, circle, cross, triangle. Now, I'm going to stop you for one second. There's an aspect that we haven't covered yet. When, de when you initially start the game, you're given a choice of three ships. And this game doesn't really have a loadout that you'd normally be picking on here. So the three ships are going to give you different variations upon breaking and cornering. Right. So, and it makes that you have your standard ship, which I believe is called the Angel. And that That's, one. Ha yeah. I think it's the Mantis. Oh, Mantis. Okay. And that, and that one has your balanced effect of cornering and for breaking. And then you have one that is more inclined towards the cornering and less on the breaking. And then you have one that is more towards the breaking and less so on the cornering. I experimented and tried different variations. Again, in my opinion, the key to doing well in this game is to, same as Crimson Clover, always be breaking or always have your finger on the break. So that way you can line up all of your shots. I found that the default ship are the one that gives you the same amount of speed or cornering as well as breaking seem to work best for my play style. Did you find the same thing for you? You know, I always went with the default ship because I, when I played it back in the day when I first bought it and playing it again now, I felt like it was a good balance of breaking and cornering. So I, I remember experimenting with the ships a little bit when I first got the game, but I always go back to the default. Yeah. The, if you, if you're trying trying to corner with a solar, the ship that has more of the stopping spacing or the, the, the braking, it just takes too long to go through the corners and you really have to set your shots up by knowing that you need to give yourself some time to break. I guess the, the best way to explain this is to look at, 
Uh, for those of you who drive, you know that you have to give more time to stop within rainy weather. Mm, you need yes. extra time for your tires to... It's the same way within... If you if you need to... Let's say if you have more braking there, you need to give yourself a little bit more time to set everything up. So that way you can hold it because you're not going to move fast as you move across the corners. Or if you're moving across the corners, you need to be very wary on how quickly you are doing for setting everything up for when you need to brake. Because the game's just going to get faster and faster. I, I would say that the middle ship where everything is balanced would be standard difficulty. The one where you get more braking is going to be your little bit higher up difficulty. And then the one where you're just constantly having to turn and twist and turn around is going to be your hard difficulty. If you're just cornering all the time, it's really hard to shoot. Your first couple levels are going to fly by, regardless. But once you get into stuff like the Scorpion and you're trying to shoot back at it multiple times, it's going to get pretty hard pretty quickly. Yeah, I would agree with that. Speaking of everything that's going on with the different ships and different colors on here, let's take a look at the graphics. Now, this game was designed to be... Again, in tandem with the Crystal Method concert and the strobe lights that the game likes to emulate on here. A sort of recreation or virtualization of a Crystal Method concert with bright and colorful designs. That includes your ship as well that you can change the color scheme of. Very interesting warping and texture effects to to add into that sort of psychedelic design or, or aesthetic that they were going for. In your notes in here, you put very trippy and atmospheric. Uh, definitely, again, what they were going for. Resolution changes when you obtain power-ups, so playing through upscalers or modern TVs, you definitely need to be aware of that. <laughs> That's one thing that I experienced when I was streaming the game, because I started on original hardware... Uh, so on an, a regular, actually my original Sony PlayStation that I bought all those years ago, and I, <clears throat> excuse me, I had it going through uh, S video through the RetroTink, and um, when you collect special weapons, there's a little bit of a resolution change. I'm not sure if it if it's a 240 to 480i, 240p to 480i thing or what it is, but. It's just enough to cause the RetroTink to blip slightly, um, which on the stream, you know, the, the image on stream came back really quickly. But going to my TV, uh, my TV didn't handle those nearly as well. And so uh, going, you know, through the RetroTink and then through my capture card and out to my TV, it was uh, it was a lot different. So my recommendation, if you're if you're playing this on a CRT definitely go through the original PlayStation if you can, and go S-Video or, um, you know, maybe SCART or something like that if you have that option, or some kind of RGB. But for uh, for those of you who don't have that kind of capability, or, you know, have a TV that is newer, I would say either play it on a PlayStation 2 and use component cables so that it's consistent and its output will be uh, consistent, or as I did then for the rest of the month after the first couple streams, play on a PlayStation 3, because then the output, you know, the, the resolution won't change. Yeah, it's interesting that 
that would have a resolution change. It's not unheard of on there. We had the issue with uh, Chrono Cross on right. the place one where it switches between the menus are in 480i. So it'd be interesting to go back and take a look at it. I would imagine that most people who are going to try this would try out the Steam port at this point. Right, yeah, because it's only five bucks. But uh, I uh, <laughs> I noted in the notes here that at times the amount of stuff happening on screen can be overwhelming. Sort of the video game equivalent of the boat scene in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, for those of you who... We're talking about the original one with Gene Wilder. Yes, uh, you know, there's no earthly way of knowing just how fast this thing is rowing, something like that. And, uh, you know, of course, that is very kind of trippy, psychedelic, scary almost. Yeah, talk about, we talked about earlier about things giving you scares. I'm sure that gave somebody some nightmares. Probably. But yeah, there, there are times when this game can be visually overstimulating. Visually busy, yes. Yeah. So if you're, you know, the, a lot of video games have have sensitivity warnings, light sensitivity warnings, and things like that. This game needs to uh, definitely be taken into consideration for anyone who has photosensitivity or uh, is uh, sensitive to that kind of very fast changes in color or uh, light levels, things like that. Um, just keep that in mind. Yeah, this game right now just says, you think you're, you've got issues? We've got strobes from the beginning. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th th these days, uh, these days, I don't think they would do something like this with all, all this epilepsy warnings that they put on. It's and rightfully so, but definitely a product of its time. Yeah. Uh, so, switching over to the sound, um, we've mentioned it already, so we'll just say, you know, the the soundtrack by the Crystal Method, I think, is atmospheric and quite fitting. It works quite well for the game, and definitely helps to add to the just kind of the whole vibe and atmosphere of the game being a sort of like, you know, Space Invaders or Centipede in a third-person view uh, if it took place during a rave. You know, that's kind of the <laughs> that's kind of the vibe that the game gives off. Yeah, again, it was made to be like an experience, like you were at one of their concerts. Yeah. And I think they achieved it with that. I mean, it's not like you get the same effect if you play this game and you're listening to Kenny G in the background. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I'm going to have to try that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Give it a shot. Yeah, well, you know, I totally have a copy of Silhouette on CD, so I'm going to have to do that. Um... On the flip side, though, the sound effects in the game, with a few exceptions, I feel like they're largely irrelevant, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Your main weapon shot is kind of a very weak pew-pew sound, and, um, you know, some of the some of the sound effects are, are decent, like the, you know, the sound effect that you collect when you collect coins is not overly loud, but it's kind of satisfying. The, the sound of shooting out the rapido is sort of that nice... Machine gun kind of noise and and things like that, but um, otherwise, or like the sound that plays uh, during the bonus level when you collide into an egg or one of the spikes. It's so this is you know almost like a, I don't know. It it just sort of 
is appropriate, I think, for what for what it is. But otherwise, most of the sounds don't really stand out much. And I think that's okay because of the fact that the soundtrack to the game is so strong, and that's kind of the focus anyway. I think the word you're looking for here is serviceable. Yeah, serviceable is a good word. And I definitely would agree with that. Yeah, and as we mentioned, uh, you know, you can you can change out the CD once the game's loaded up and play your own music. Um, <clears throat> so, any of you any of you shooting game fans out there that wanna, you know, that wanna play the game to Bette Midler's greatest hits, hey, we're not hating. <laughs> oh, come on now, EDM. Yeah, that's probably a good comment. I mean, I, you know, when I did it during the course of the month, I played a variety of styles. So, I mean, I went from, I went from old school death metal to female fronted indie pop to a funk band that was in the city where I used to live. And then, uh, you know, a prog rock band and then a, a college rock band. And so I, I kind of mixed it up. You know, it'll be interesting to try here is t- taking the. Uh, for those of you who have listened to the Guide In episode, we sort of got the uh, the day we fought space with it. Sort of, sort of like prog rock, um, surf rock. Hmm. Yes. That would be interesting to try with this. I think that would sort of fit with the visuals. Like, yeah. Another thing that I thought of, and I this just came to mind, but it would be interesting to try, is burn a CD that is essentially just the audio from a Twitch ASMR streamer <laughs> and play that in the background. It would change the dynamic entirely because then, since there's so little sound, then the sound effects kind of take over with a little bit of additional ambiance in there. That would be a unique experience, I think. This is almost getting to the sh- the shooting games uh, equivalent to Monster Rancher here. <laughs> yeah, when podcasts go meta. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, now that we've talked about all the weirdness that you can do with the <clears throat> sound in here, let's talk real quick about the scoring. The various bonuses in the game help boost your score by a decent amount. The real points in the game come from earning as many coins per level as possible and cashing them all in at the end of the stage for points. Obvious risk-reward to forgo firewalls, but you earn extra lives much quicker. Yeah, and, and realistically, that's the name of the game. When I watched a run of the game, or the run of the game that's currently up on Twin Galaxies as the only verified score submission for it, the lady who has that score, she mostly cashed in coins for points, but there were a couple of times that she went for, at least one time that she went for firewalls. So she her score would probably have been over a million uh, had she cashed in every time and then not needed that firewall and been able to make it essentially the same, you know, the same place in the game by the time she ended up. And we'll, t- we'll touch on that more here in a little bit. But uh, definitely cashing in your coins for points is the name of the game. And as much as possible, when you have the ability to get to the bonus stage, milk that as much as you can and boost the number of coins that you can get 
as high as you can get because then, you know, if you can get over 100 coins, that's an easy 100,000 points, which is two more extra ships. So uh, it's definitely definitely worth cashing in your, your coins for points. So I guess uh, maybe we should kind of give some general impressions of the game. You know, this is one that I bought. I think I mentioned this on stream. I, I bought this randomly when, uh, after, you know, sometime after I got my PlayStation. It must have been either 99 or 2000. I was at a K-Boy, uh, K-Boy, a KB Toys outlet store that used to be in a town a little ways away from, from where I lived at the time, but uh, had a friend there that we went to visit and stopped in over at the KB Toys store when we kind of were out randomly shopping and I saw this sitting on the shelf and I thought well that sounds interesting I looked at the back and I saw the the wild colors and the premise and I thought cool this looks like a you know a sort of a Tempest or Gyrus kind of style shooting game but modernized and so I wasn't super familiar with Tempest at that point but I had played a, a lot of Gyrus so I decided to go for it and uh, I'd heard of the crystal method I didn't know really who they were at that point but uh, I decided to go for it and I ended up rather liking the game I never was able to get very far I think probably because some of the mechanics were a little bit lost on me at the time and I really wasn't playing it very seriously I just sort of enjoyed the game's atmosphere and the soundtrack and and uh you know, just sort of the bold colors and bright atmospheric kind of vibe. But coming back to the game, I uh, I really enjoyed myself and and uh, I had more fun with this than I think I was expecting to coming back to it. Yeah, for, for me, this game screams sort of arcade game reimagining or late '90s arcade game. You can definitely see all the places they pulled inspiration from. And in that respect, I like the game. It's something fun that you put on for, at least for me, for let's say maybe play for 5 to 25, maybe 25 minutes. And then you've had your fill with it. It's like a quick, fun arcade game. It's not something that I would... spend hours and hours trying to finish or go through to me it's not as deep as it needs to be in order to get that playthrough on here there's plenty of enemy types and the music and the graphics and everything is good it just doesn't have enough of a draw to bring me back to it yeah I mean I think as we have started to play games that deal with more intricate systems and complex scoring and things like that, uh, like Crimson Clover, for example, I start to appreciate those kinds of systems more. And so a more simplistic game like this, you know, it's, it might not, I might not latch onto it quite as much or, or it might not get its hooks in me in the same way. But then on the flip side, it's fun as a pick-up-and-play title, and certainly for kind of a quick burst of score chasing to sort of scratch that itch but not commit necessarily. 
I feel like it's it's maybe good for that. Yeah, as I said earlier, I think this would be a great mobile phone game in this day and age. I, I could see people playing playing this just as much as they have played Angry Birds in the past or uh, what, whatever your poison is these days on phones. I, I could see doing very, or even, let's say, Apple Arcade. If you bring this back in the Apple Arcade model, I could see this doing very well. Yeah, you could easily you could easily swipe left and right on the screen to move the tunnel runner back and forth, just have it auto shoot all the time, and tap a, a button on the screen for a special weapon, for a shield, for a firewall, or something like that. I mean you got almost all the controls there. You know, have a brake button, have a jump button, and uh, yeah, you could probably you could probably do this game pretty well in, in that setting. Yeah, and with the types of displays that we have now, you can probably get an even brighter, almost vector-like experience if you wanted to, or different filters out of it. Sure. It, if, if For people who haven't tested it out or tried it out, definitely give it a shot. I mean, it's worth at least spending 5 bucks on Steam, or if you can find it cheap enough, try and play the PlayStation 1 copy of the game. It, it's a fun, quick arcade game experience it's not going to give you anything as deep as cave and it's not going to give you anything as challenging as gradius 3 although i'm not sure what will when it comes to gradius <laughs> 3 or let's say r type you're not you're just not going to get the challenge out that you're looking for that i can do this i just need to memorize it, it, it's got to be something you're going to play for five or ten, ten minutes maybe 30 minutes or so and then you're going to move on to something else and sometimes that's all you need Absolutely. We only had one participant, and that was Grabmaster2000. And uh, he just posted a couple things. Um, he just says, I have a copy. I've had a copy of this sitting on my shelf forever. I'll dust it off and give it a go next month. Uh, and then his one and only additional post in the thread is says, I had never looked into what style of the game this was before. Immediately got Tempest 2000 and Beam Rider vibes from it. And uh, Beam Rider was interesting. I, I'll, have to, I'll have to give that a go. Wasn't sure how well it was going to feel, but was pleasantly surprised. I don't know about watching someone else play this game without getting nauseous, but it was easy to get the hang of it. It's a shame you're worried about the soundtrack getting you in trouble. It's absolutely not something I'd listen to outside of the game, but while playing it's very easy to just fall into the zone with it and just kind of forget how much stuff is happening and how hectic the game actually is. Very relaxing for such an intense game. The firewall is a super cool weapon. Feels great every time unleashing one of those down the corridor and wiping out every bug. I was messing around with the jump and break a bit, but I think you're right and I need to master the break a bit more to improve my score. My daughter was helping me choose the colors on the ships and really enjoying that. I'll have to mess around with the different ones available and see how they feel. Thanks for encouraging me to try this one out. I've had it forever and kind of forgot about it. It was a nice surprise. And yeah, that's one thing we forgot to mention was that uh, when you go to select your ship, you can also change the color scheme, the three different colors on the ship, and so you can customize it. I always, I always did that. So as a result... Uh, there were only two high score submissions during the course of the month. I had the top spot with 
41,490 points. And that is currently higher than the score that is verified on Twin Galaxies. I have a thread open there. I submitted the uh, link to the run, and I'm going to be uploading the video of the run that I grabbed from, uh, from Twitch and try to upload that and see if they'll verify it. If not, and I want to be recognized for it, I may have to try and duplicate that and show off my setup that I'm playing on PS3 and then I'm using this controller and then it's going through this, you know, hardware and this capture card. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and then basically film my TV while I'm playing it so that I can kind of show what it is I'm doing. But, um, who knows, by the time this episode is uploaded, you might be able to go to Twin Galaxies and see a new score. Uh, and then the other score that was submitted was Crabmaster 2000 with 192,940 points. Now, if you start selling your own version of hot sauce, well, I'll at least buy a bottle. <laughs> I don't think we're in any danger of that. Uh, uh, do you remember what your what your highest score was? I know it was larger than one. Honestly, I don't. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't. I would have to look it up on here. <laughs> score wasn't something I was actually keeping up in this game. I was more looking at the mechanics and trying to learn how this was going. I got stuck up with uh, life, unfortunately, for most of the part, and was trying to make sure I had a, could talk the good talk regarding this game and get a better understanding of that. I I would w- wage a guess that it was probably somewhere around Crab Masters. Okay, cool. But I I would never say that I would be- beat your uh, Twin Galaxies run. <laughs> uh, well, I and I didn't even play the game as much as I was hoping to because again life got in the way for me too. So I only streamed the game about half as much as I was planning on. But in the end, I think it worked out okay. And I'm going to drop a little hint here for everybody who's made it this far into the podcast. Speaking about scores, we have a little something kind of special that we're going to be starting next year, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> starting in January, we are going to be doing a new thing with the Shmup Club. Uh, the January game will be not only the focus for January but it will be an overall high score focus for the rest of the year. Now, normally we would, uh, we would wait until the regular December news post goes up on RF generation before we announce the January game. But because of the game and the circumstances surrounding it and um, so forth, we want to make sure that we give everyone ample time to score a copy if they want to participate. And that is because the game that will be our January title and our score focus for all of 2020 will be Caves Ketsui. This is, uh, it was released in arcades in 2002. And as far as ports, it got officially ported on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. Uh, The PS3 version is region free. The Xbox 360 version is not, so you have to have either a modded 360 or a uh, Japanese console in order to play it. Uh, but it also recently got a release from the M2 Shot Triggers line 
on the PlayStation 4, uh, which is an excellent port of the game that also includes a new mode called Destiny. And so that's kind of a new, uh, a new mode of the game that, that tones down the difficulty a little bit of the arcade version, but because of some of the changes in the mechanics, also gives you the possibility for some ridiculously huge scores. Uh, it's a fun mode, and uh, I enjoy it quite a bit. There's also a release on the Nintendo DS known as Ketsui Death Label that essentially turns the game into a boss rush. And uh, I would say, you know, let's allow that version as well. Um, again, it is it was only in Japan, but since the DS is region-free, uh, you will be able to play that on uh, any region of DS, and uh, that can kind of be its own score category for anyone who wants to participate in that. But... The game has no digital release on any of the Western markets. So if you want to play it here, you either have to have a Japanese PSN account and buy it through that way, or you need to buy a physical copy. Um, thankfully, via Amazon, PlayAsia, NinNin Game, and other retailers, uh, both the PS3 and PS4 versions which again are region free, are still reasonably priced. You can get them for right around uh, retail game release. So kind of hovering around that $60 mark. So it's a little bit of an investment, but again, if you think about it from the standpoint of we're gonna be focusing on this game for the whole year from a scoring perspective, uh, and you know, kind of touching on this game every month as we as we do the podcast and sort of updating people on the leaderboard, um, it's going to be a cool opportunity to really dig into a game at a level that we haven't done thus far. So I'm excited about it because uh, Ketsui is an excellent game. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it as well. And I know that we'll have some special guests from other podcasts playing with us as well. And if you break it down from 60 bucks to around 60 bucks, it's about five bucks a month, which isn't too bad. I mean, forgo your Starbucks coffee and buy Ketsui. Exactly. Yeah. Ketsui is, is definitely much more valuable than Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. It, it's one of the premier games from Cave as well. It's ones that everybody goes to and everybody to the mechanics in it are deep enough that it could will definitely last for a year it's up there in there with the likes of uh dodonpachi uh ddp uh, what's a, uh, oh daiojo daiojo on their um daifukatsu right it's in the upper echelons of cave which is uh, anyone who hears the word cave in sdgs knows you're dealing with uh some of the creme de la creme yeah, definitely, definitely one of the premier devs of of shooting games throughout uh, the course of the genre's history. I'm looking forward to to really digging into Ketsui in January and then playing and streaming it throughout the course of the year to learn the mechanics and really get um, really get familiarized with the game and its systems. So we'll definitely have more information to follow. Uh, both on rfgeneration.com and uh, hopefully also in uh, forthcoming episodes. 
Sounds good. And speaking of forthcoming episodes, what do we have coming in November? Yeah, so uh, as we record this, it's already November, and by the time you hear this, uh, it may be mid-November. So um, we are already playing Tiger Heli, which was developed by Toaplan and released by Taito in the arcades uh, in Japan, and then um, ported to the NES uh, and released in Japan by Taito, and then in the United States by Sammy, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, Sammy. And so we're, we're, we're playing both the NES and, and arcade versions. Now, the arcade version is uh, the only legit version of the arcade release that hit consoles was the Toaplan Shooting Battle Volume 1, which came out on the PlayStation that has Tiger Heli and Q Kyoku Tiger on it. Uh, that is quite expensive, so I would not recommend you run out and buy it. Um, but uh, if you want to use MAME or something and, and emulate the game, we certainly wouldn't hold it against you if you want to check out the arcade version that way. Um, and I will definitely be streaming both the NES and arcade versions. Yeah, the PS1 port, I think, is... A hundred plus. I think last time I checked it was around 150. So definitely uh, cheaper to emulate on the arcade port. Yeah, I mean, unless you're dying for arcade perfect ports of Tiger Heli and uh, what is essentially Twin Cobra, mm, probably save your money. Uh, and then in December... Yep, we have we... the uh, waifus for your lifeus. <laughs> yes, December is a much requested shoot 'em up. And I say much requested because one particular RF Generation member has been asking us to cover this game since we started the Shmup Club, and we finally relented and said that we would go ahead and do this. So this one's for you, Red. Uh, in December, we are going to be playing Otometius Excellent for the Xbox 360. And I believe that there's a perfect mode. I'm trying to remember the exact name for that as well. Oh, is it Otomedius Perfect, or it's it's only available on the Japanese Xbox? Oh, yeah. Otomedius Excellent is actually the second of two games. Uh, the predecessor was called Otomedius Gorgeous, and, uh, yeah, it was only available in Japan. And then Excellent came to America, but um, I'm not sure if it was as an apology for not getting the first game here, but we got kind of a limited edition with a sort of shiny outer box... And then inside it comes with the game. It has a couple of, as you mentioned, waifu uh, pillowcases. It has a, a neat little art book. And then it has a, a soundtrack CD, which is sort of a, a sampling of tracks from Ordemedius Gorgeous. And then also a couple of vocal tracks that are in Ordemedius Excellent, including the opening theme song. Uh, and so it's very anime style and... Um, yeah, if you like Gradius or, or Parodius, it's probably worth a look. Yeah, it's an anime take on Parodius in some ways. <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's also dirt cheap, so you want to give it a shot, it won't cost you too much. Yeah, not if you, not if you just buy the base game. Uh, however, you can go broke if you buy all the DLC. <laughs> oh, yes, uh, the Darius Burst situation there. Yeah. Or Darius, excuse me. Yeah, Darius Burst. We also like to 
Thank the following, Sir Flash of Studio Mudprints in Bullet Heaven for the logo, Kogasu for the intro and outro music, everybody at RF Generation and the Playcast crew, everybody participating in the 2019 RF Gen NES Challenge, uh, some guy named Metafro who also streams, I think, and is trying to uh, get another Spider Fighter patch <laughs> for his uh. score run, and... Yeah, uh, or or possibly a, a Twin Galaxies high score, so uh, stay tuned for that. And if you'd like to connect with us, uh, check out uh, the account on Twitter, at ShootCoreCast, or you can follow me directly, at GameBoyGuru. Um, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your preferred platform. We are on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, and Google Play. And uh, or you can go old school and go right to RF Generation and listen to the MP3 or download it there if you want. And also uh, check out the RF Generation Discord channel. Uh, it's linked right from the front page of RFGeneration.com, and we have a, a dedicated shoot the Corecast topic where you can come and hit us up about the podcast or talk about the shmup of the month and post your score. So with that said. I think that's all I have to say about nitrous oxide for the moment. Anything else you want to add? Drugs are bad, okay? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just thanks for listening and hope you enjoy. All right. We'll see you next month. <laughs>